Welcome to Null Pointers. We are your hosts, Stephen, Gerald, and Mark. And today we're going to be talking about storing all that magical data that you get from the internet on your mobile device. Before we're going to talk about our topic for today, which is storing all that data on your mobile device using code, obviously. Um, I wanted to have a quick chat because I am sitting in this really horrible old desk chair. Um, I shouldn't be. I want to have a standing desk. I just haven't gotten around to getting one. But I also saw that Logitech is releasing a big $1,500 gaming chair by Herman Miller. So what are you guys sitting on? Is is this something that would be worth your parting with $1,500 for? I don't know. I mean, it sounds like a lot of a lot of money, of course. But, um, you know, on the other hand, you sit on it probably a good part of the day. Um, and uh, at least that's true for me because, you know, I'm working from home all the time, always. Um, so, you know, it, it might be worth the investment for me. Uh, but but I don't know. I, I, I don't really see... Maybe I should try it because I don't really see at this point um, why that would be worth so much money. Um, I have this IKEA chair, which is, I think, um, 10 times cheaper. It's a 150 euro dollars. Um, and I at least try to think i like to think that it's pretty good but on the other hand um my back is hurting today so you know maybe maybe it's not as good as i thought um but yeah i don't know i i would be definitely open to try it um and see what it's all about but yeah the only way i could do that is probably to throw fifteen hundred dollars at it and that's not something that i'm looking forward to do so that's a steep entry for trying. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the design, I don't know. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of it. I mean, I know when you sit in the chair, you don't really see it. But for 1500 I think it should also be pleasing for the eyes. But uh, Logitech is partnering up with Herman Miller on that chair. And I know there is the Aeron, which I think a lot of people in our industry are quite a fan of. Again, not a very cheap chair. But who knows? I'm also currently sitting in an IKEA chair. It's it's uh, seen a few years, and since I'm now working a lot from home, um, yeah, I've I've been playing lately with the idea of of upgrading my chair. But um, I think the the problem is when you're spending that much money, you really want to be sure it's comfortable. And yeah, I think being able to try it out would be really nice. But right now, that's uh, a bit difficult to ask for i guess okay so and whenever we can um, i think the three of us need to go to the herman miller store and try out some chairs oh yeah oh yeah what what, what does that Aaron go for um that's a good question i don't even know I th- it's probably more expensive than i would probably invest in a chair but on the other hand like you said it's it's something we use a lot in our day-to-day yeah, so it's it's funny if you think about it that way that a lot of people like easily spend that amount on I don't know something else. Um, I mean, you spend thousand on your phone basically, 
um, if if you're like probably uh, into technology as as we are, uh, an iPhone or even a high end Samsung is is easily a thousand euro dollars. Um, so you know, and and that's also a tool that you probably use um, a whole lot of time during the day, uh, but it's not entirely great for your health um one could argue so having a good chair is that and it will probably last longer than your phone um so you know it's it's funny how that works in in your brain or at least in mine yeah that's true uh, i think when breaking down how much time you will be sitting in this chair and since we all have a desk job um i think it sure would be uh, a good investment uh, especially when you break it down of how much the hourly cost would be over the years. And I've seen few people that have had a uh, expensive chair for many years. And uh, if you take the more expensive ones, you can also get replacement parts for those things that just uh, tend to go after a while. So yeah, I think I might be looking into this uh, if I ever decide to upgrade from my IKEA chair. Um, I also have the IKEA standing desk, which I can let up by hand by turning uh, a curb thing. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think I'm quite happy right now with the table, but it's the chair that I'm thinking mostly about. And uh, I know from other people that have been longer in the industry, they tend to say buy the cheapest uh, desk that you can get, but invest into the chair. So there might be some wisdom in that. So are you, are you standing a lot during the day or... No, I'm just couldn't be bothered. No, I, it depends. Uh, I, I think I could be standing a lot more. Um, I also got a standing desk at work, which actually has got a it's an electric motor. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I sometimes do it when writing email to just get it over with more quickly. But um, yeah, uh, I think I don't do it as often as others sometimes do. Yeah, all boils down to personal preference, I guess. Um, I I would like to stand more as well but at some point i tend to go sit down again and never get up again um that that's yeah. my main problem well plus i think standing on its own is actually not the most healthy thing that you can do as a human being uh walking is something entirely different but just standing for a long time is uh yeah not not the best thing for your cardiovascular system i have been told yeah it's funny that you say that because the other day we i was talking about this with my colleagues and uh we're totally going off topic and too long on this news thing but you know this is interesting this is for your health man stop interrupting me okay thank you um so it and there are certain mats or or how, how would you call it like the thing on the floor that you're standing on and it 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 will be like it will have um how do you say it? It will be uneven. So you have mm -hmm. to stand on there. Um, yeah. Um, preferably without any shoes on, I can imagine. Um, and because it's uneven, that will force you to um, change how you stand all the time to basically overcome the the, the issue that you just said. So uh, for your vascular system, um, it will yeah be better that you move around a little bit and not stand basically on one leg or the other probably or hang on your desk or that kind of stuff um so you know there's a solution for everything absolutely or or you can also you have also these these like indoor bike things but you will just have the pedals basically that you can use as a chair so you can 
um, do a little bit of biking while you're. That is too gimmicky for me. Yeah, I think it would be. I'm way too easy distracted by that stuff. No, I mean the, the way that I keep my my back in shape is uh, exercise. I know it sounds boring, and I know it sounds very cumbersome, but um, yeah, uh, doing some exercise for your back, uh, working those back muscles, uh, has helped me the most. I used to have a lot of back issues back in the day when I was young, and uh, they're all gone since I do some regular exercises for my back. So yeah. So this this exercise thing that you mentioned it it just sounds strange to me but um well we might have to explore that some other time um so let, let's just move on to the actual topic that we wanted to discuss which was storing data on your mobile device so when you make an app because that's what we're talking about here we always talk about apps um when you're making an app you download a lot of data that is pretty much the nature of most apps um, and that needs to go somewhere because we don't want to suck your entire data plan dry within few minutes of using our app. So it, it needs to get downloaded, stored somewhere, and maybe even reused because data doesn't often change. So some of those things we will cover today. But what are what are your experiences with that? You've built some apps, all of you. Yeah, I think I've built some mobile apps uh, during the past couple of months, years. And uh, yeah, I think when you first come to mobile, it's it's a bit different than if you come from desktop apps um, because the mobile space is quite picky or the frameworks uh, like iOS and, and Android um, are quite picky where you actually put the data. So you, you can't just put it willy-nilly anywhere you want to, but there are some special folders uh, that are designated for your app where you can store the stuff in. And I think that was like the, the first thing that I had to learn when uh, dealing with uh, offline storage or storing stuff on your phone. And there are like, uh, you can like uh, store your settings, like key value pairs. Uh, you got temporary storage, which will not be backed up. You got a uh, on iOS, you got storage for the user that you can enable in iTunes so they can actually look at it. And you got some library storage, which is then like uh, in-app storage. So yeah, there's, I think at the beginning, I was uh, quite um, amused and a bit uh, shocked, I might say, uh, by the amount of, of uh, things I had to learn to just store a single file and not be rejected when submitting to the App Store. That was fun. Uh, how was how was the experience for you, Joe? Yeah, so there's the, you said a couple of things like uh, there's a lot of way to uh, a lot of ways to store different types of data, um, and you know it, it it sounds so easy, right? Like yeah, yeah I'm just gonna store something and and that's it. But especially if you go into like the the connected world, like you get things from the internet, and um, even worse if you want to send data back. So then you're yeah, going to come into the world of like collisions. Um, you've edited the data both on the, the source and uh, on your mobile device as well. So how are you going to sync that back and, and um, reconcile all the changes that are going on? Uh, maybe your device, I mean, it's a mobile device, so um, the network might not be that stable or it might be offline entirely. Um, 
you do not want your user to um, you know uh, lose that data that they've just entered uh, so you want to save that somewhere locally and then maybe sync that uh, back to online uh, later um, yeah that's that's all the things that i have cried about many many nights um, and um, it i still wake up screaming sometimes thinking about that so apart from the fetal position uh, you mentioned it quickly uh, Gerald, there some phones they come with really limited storage. I think especially on the Android side, um, there's like so little storage that comes with the phone. So usually, are able to plug in an SD card. But there are some interesting caveats when using the SD card, especially since the the SD card it's like it's like the Wild West. I think uh, on Android, uh, they might be tightening up security around that, but. Uh, what I always found interesting to know is if you ever want to write to the SD card, you have to actually request permission in your app so that you'll be able to write to the SD card storage. And you can also uh, request re-permission. Uh, and the interesting thing there is usually your app um, space is uh, sandboxed. So no app can actually read the data from another app by which the operating system will prevent that. But on the SD card, if your app has got read permission for it, you can actually read all the content from the SD card. So you could go uh, sniffing around in other apps, uh, local storage spaces, which uh, is always a bit uh, scary when you deal with certain data that you know should not actually be coming into the wrong kind of hands because it might be user data or something just a bit sensitive. And uh, yeah, I, I always found that one very interesting when dealing with SD cards to just know that you might want to encrypt everything that you store, which is probably good advice anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah, and for uh, most OSs, I think uh, both Android and iOS and uh, maybe Windows somewhere, I'm not even sure, but uh, they, they also have like this secure space where you can save some things, right? So as a developer, if you know that you're going to deal with uh, some data that might be sensitive or, or needs to be saved secure, um, then then you have this, this special thing, uh, the special store where you can where you can save your data. Um, so yeah, you know, it, it's not as simple as just writing a file somewhere or maybe have a um, simple uh, database engine running. Well, it's never going to be an engine, but uh, it's always going to be saved to a file, but you have like SQLite, uh, for instance. Um, so, and that allows you to basically have a, a small database on your phone where you can uh, put some data in uh, and uh, yeah, the way you go about that is entirely up to you. So that can be used as some kind of cache for, for offline usage, or you can use it to, I don't know, uh, do do all kinds of other things. Uh, but the thing you do need to keep in mind is like you say, Mark, like uh, if you put it on the SD card, for instance, and um, probably on the iPhone, it, it might be a little bit harder, but you know, there's probably some way to uh, maybe uh, get the contents of your app uh, on there as well uh, so you always have to keep in mind security uh, in all regards but uh, also when you're saving data like this absolutely and um, you said it before uh, so the one way how you can store stuff on your phone is just simply by using a file so you can serialize your objects to json or bson or xml or yaml or whatever your favorite poison is to serialize something into and then just simply store it uh, onto 
the flash or the SD card, uh, whatever you want. And you can also encrypt these files. And uh, one way you can do it is uh, there is some special chips uh, in the iPhones where you can store data within. Uh, it's a bit of limited storage, so it's you should treat it a bit as a key value pair thingy, so don't store too much data in there. And uh, on Android, you get an encryption key from the operating system, which will then uh, allow you to encrypt data. You actually never see that key, so it's uh, that's how they keep the information secure. But uh, if you just uh, don't want to really bother about the internals, how it's done, uh, at least when you're writing Xamarin apps, you can use the Xamarin Essentials library, which uh, James Montemagno and his team uh, are working on. And that just uh, will allow you to say, I would like to encrypt this piece of data, and it will take care of encrypting it and from the platform internals and just let you store your files, which is quite cool. Yeah, yeah, that's it's pretty cool. I think things like Android, I, I know I had a Samsung test device that had some security software on there as well. I think it was called Knox or something. Um, I'm not sure if that also does what you said it did, but it's it's... Secure data is definitely the way to go. I mean, especially when you're already communicating with APIs and things like that to get your data, you're probably also going to have some sort of authentication token to get that data, and that needs to be stored somewhere safely. Um, so for iOS, for example, you could even put that in a keychain maybe because that's the hyper-secure storage that Apple offers you, I guess. Um, but yeah, the, the storing of that kind of data, it's... It's, it's bound to happen that you need to store something that needs to be secure. Like, there, there's probably no way around that. And even if you, like you said, file storage, that it kind of sounds like that isn't really secure. Like, a, a database, for some reason, sounds more secure. Um, but especially on mobile, the, the database options are, I would say, limited. Um, I've, I've started off with SQLite way back in the day but i i found the amount of code that you had to write for that at some point i i found it to become quite cumbersome and it also doesn't really let you store really complex things like it, it supports basic data types like int and, and string and all that good stuff but just getting one piece of json back from a from an api that's already structured and has all its relationships in place um, and just writing that to a file storage, well, that that makes complexity uh, not really an issue anymore. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And uh, just touching back quickly on the encryption part, uh, I think it's just important to keep in mind a lot of the operating systems will tell you that they encrypt your data when it's at rest. Um, I just wanted to quickly put that out there. What that means is whenever you're using your app, your data will be not encrypted. So in theory, every background process that's running could then, yeah, sort of uh, still access a lot of data. But um, the other thing that you brought up is databases and how they are used. So does that mean I can not use any MS SQL or Oracle database uh, on my mobile phone? I think if you can get that to work, then I don't know. I don't know if you're a hero or um, a fool, basically. <laughs> uh, so no, that's that's not something that you want to do. I mean, the devices might even be powerful enough, but you will a never have enough permissions um, to to pull off such a thing. Um, and b, it's it's not something that you want to do. I mean, a phone is 
um, should be used to present the data in a um, nice way, an easy way for users to interact with um, and send some of that data back. Uh, I mean, you probably will have some business apps that um, do a little bit more on the the uh, data input and that kind of stuff. So it will be less swiping and more typing. Ooh, that's a nice one line. Um, and, um, you know, but it's not something that you want to run a full uh, database engine on. So the way that you want to go about that is have a um, probably some kind of REST API or, or other server-side thing uh, where you get your data from. Um, and uh, yeah, just, just pull in the data uh, or maybe get it pushed uh, to your device, just the bits that you need um, and send back only the data that you want. So all the heavy lifting should be done on uh, a server that is uh, not on your phone. Gotcha. And I think another thing that one has to keep in mind, I mean, Stephen, you mentioned it and Gerald, you too, is uh, SQLite. Um, while it looks like a database, you can also write some SQL queries against it. Uh, in the end, it's just a file. Uh, so being stored on your uh, mobile device, uh, which but it allows you to um, make requests against this file. So your memory footprint might be a bit lower because you can actually query data out of it. But also, as Stephen mentioned, it's it's a bit limited, so you can't make any joins. Um, and so, if you've got complex data structures that you want to store, uh, it might be a bit tough. Did you guys ever do any database migrations with your mobile apps? I did not. No. And I think I'm happy for it. I, I personally prefer the, I guess, the version where the API provides different versions of endpoints and the app handles those in a different way, but not necessarily a, a full-fledged migration where my entire local database needs to be changed around. That That sounds really painful to me, at least. Did you, Mark, because it sounds like you have some kind of trauma here? Uh, no, no, thankfully, no, not yet. <laughs> um, I think it's just uh, important sometimes to keep in mind that on the client, you usually have a lot less data that you handle. And up to now, the migration scenario that was always good enough was just uh, dump the entire data or upload the parts that are not yet uploaded and just re get, get it afresh from the back end and then start again the new, uh, which was often good enough. Uh, in the most scenarios that we had. Yeah, exactly. So you on your, that's basically what the thing that I just wanted to say, right? Like on your device, you just want to have, I mean, you also have limited storage space. So um, you just want to use the bits that you are looking at right now. Some caching uh, probably, uh, but, but just enough for the things that you do. That will also make these kinds of migrations um, a lot easier, I guess. So yeah. Did any of you two ever use the LightDB? I have not. I've uh, have I that that is a really good question. Um, I don't think I've used it in a mobile app. I think I've used it elsewhere. Actually, enlighten enlighten me. <laughs> what what's LightDB? Well, LightDB is basically a NoSQL way how you can store your data. Uh, it's lightweight, uh, as the name already implies. I still have to use it personally. It looks very intriguing uh, compared to SQLite. Uh, or the reason why I really like SQLite is because it's like pretty much the industry standard 
uh, it's built into a ton of devices. And I once heard the rumor that I think Airbus is using SQLite. So as long as Airbus is using it, uh, it's they give guarantees for, I think, 50 years that their software can be used. So that means for 50 years, they have to maintain SQLite. And when I heard it and I added up the 50 years, I should be pensioner by then so if i ever want to play it safe i'll just use sqlite that's the only reason you need right yeah so i think i'm, I'm not even sure what sqlite uses um so if i understand correctly then lightdb is more like the document database so that's uh, probably backed by yeah just json documents without a fixed schema so normally you would have some kind of description of um the, which tables are there and in those tables which columns are there um and those columns are fixed unless you uh, you know edit your your database scheme um and if you use like um uh, something like lightdb i'm guessing um that is just whenever you add a property to your uh, to your object basically and you write it to the database then uh, one object might have the property and and the other does not uh, necessarily have it um, so that also makes it yeah well both easier and harder probably for the um, database migrations that we've just mentioned but um, yeah it's it's something that you need to have in mind when you write code but uh, it's also very very flexible and very performant i think it's something that's very popular these days with uh, cosmos db and that kind of stuff so yeah yeah Another thing that you guys have mentioned earlier on is having or wanting to reduce the amounts of data that has to go over the wire, so caching. Uh, we have now spoken how you can download files manually or how you could use uh, some database-like approaches uh, that you can query your data with, but that would mean you would have to roll your own caching, and that can be a bit cumbersome. So. What are the strategies you choose when you know that you basically have to cache requests that the that the app is making for the user? Other people smarter than me have figured this out, so that that's pretty much my main go-to. Um, there are a few nuggets that I tend to use for that. It, it depends a bit on the situation, I guess. So I've I've done apps with Monkey Cache, um, which is a really straightforward, simple caching library. It's basically, I think the most it handles for you is expiration. Um, so it, it provides you with a opportunity to say this data is valid for 30 days, maybe um, whatever arbitrary time you choose um, and handling the expiration of that. I don't even think it removes it um, for you. I think that's something you have to write your own code for. So you have to check if it's expired and remove it. So it, it really is just the storage. Um, and I think it comes with a few different implementations, like just a file or a SQLite, like the, the formats that we already mentioned. But if you want to go a bit deeper, head first, uh, you could choose Akavash. I always trip up on how to pronounce that correctly because it's such a odd looking name. But it, it is very powerful. It, it uses some reactive bits under the hood. And it, it can like, if, if you query a specific piece of cache, you can even provide it with a function to go update it. So it, it both returns you the cache data and then 
at some point later in time returns you the the server data basically so an updated version so your your function call can actually return twice um, with the data which makes it really blazing fast to get something on screen but it it will like for after a few seconds it'll pop new data into your screen as well so some some indicators are probably needed on on the ui side to indicate that it's still loading but a, a user can really get a, a feeling for the app that it that it's really responsive and i think that's that's part of the the reason why caching is such a good thing to do like the, the user doesn't have to wait seconds and maybe even longer to to get data on the screen that that really is one of the most powerful things yeah, so that's that's basically the thing about about all of this, right? It's all part of the illusion. Um, if you think about all the the big apps that you um, might have on your phone, so uh, social media, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, and, I mean those are always good examples, and and probably some more as well. Um, you will basically never, unless you install the app for the first time, but other than that, you will probably never see an empty screen. Um, so there will always be always be some cache data somewhere that is shown to you, um, and only after that it's probably reloaded somewhere in the background and just inserted. Um, and between the blink of an eye, uh, you will suddenly look at like refresh data, um, and uh, you're suddenly looking at like all uh, kinds of new things. So it's it's basically also. Um, yeah, just tricking your users into thinking that uh, everything is very fast and updating very snappy while um, yeah things get done in the background. Um, and the Akavash library is um, very suited for that. There are some other ones. Um, I think Simple Cache, Tiny Cache. Um, I know we've mentioned the the Tiny uh, Tool Suite before. Um, has anyone used either of those or, or something else that's not come to mind yet? So, dee, 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 dee. Uh, <laughs> you moved them all away. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, person, personally, I have not yet had the chance to play around with Tiny Cash. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Akavash uh, by Anes Betts, uh, who also wrote the uh, reactive UI. So um, I think I've mentioned in the show before that uh, I like to use reactive UI as my MVVM framework. And so Akavash is a really nice fit there. And I think caching is uh, the, the, like the most obvious part is loading data from the web, which can go, which can take some time, especially if you got a bad uh, internet connection or no internet connection, they will take forever. And um, so I think caching makes there a lot of sense. Another part where I like to use caching is whenever I uh, have to like transform the data that I get from the back end. Uh, like uh, what comes to mind is I had to implement lately a search. And so I had to present search results and they were a bit different than the original model that came along. And mapping those search results took some time. I think it were like over a thousand items originally. And um, just like having those in a pre in, in the map state uh, greatly improved performance uh, there too. So I think you can use caches wherever you uh, expect uh, some larger delays to just keep your app nice and snappy. Speaking about caching, I think the other part that we have not yet touched upon is 
not only loading data from a backend, but also syncing it back. Are there any favorite tools you use there to automatically, automatically sync your data? I am already crying. It uh, That is definitely one of those things where it, it becomes very painful, um, or at least for me, usually the the amount of like where where do you put the responsibility or where uh, which which platform is leading you know like th- is what i'm sending is that going to be leading or is the api's version always going to be in charge it's it's a decision i tend to put on the back end somewhere um so the the device just sends data and the back end decides this is either acceptable or not um and and other than that the handling on the mobile device itself for me is usually just either handling that it's not good enough anymore or getting new data and all that stuff um but yeah that i know there is probably some tools for this but i am not really into those no, and I think in the very core, I mean, on Android, you have the concept of like um, uh, services, I think they call them, right? Where you can do some background stuff. Um, it's it's not that, I think also there, Android is basically built like um, as this very open platform where users or developers can do whatever. And now they're seeing like, oh, oh maybe we, we shouldn't have given them uh, that much freedom. So now they're tightening uh, on some areas. Um, but on iOS, for instance, you can, I think you can run something in the background uh, with with some exceptions for services that, that make sense, like GPS tracking, that kind of stuff. But I think you can run something in the background for like at most 30 seconds or something. Uh, or or maybe not even I'm, I'm not entirely sure uh, and the way I think on iOS you, what you could do uh, without any uh, extra tools or whatever is uh, like send a silent push notification to um, let your app know that there is new data um, and then you can um, refresh that data also again within a uh, short time frame uh, so that whenever the user opens the app that that data will be um, available directly and, and not that at that point whenever you open the app that it then has to go load the data but it has done that before um, so i think that's that's some of the yeah things that you might want to look into and the tips and tricks that um, um, are under the hood basically um, yeah another um, solution that is uh, pretty cool i think is um, realm um, I don't hear a lot from them lately, but they had some pretty impressive demos um, where you could um, use their database for one. Um, but the other uh, awesome thing that they had was like um, where you could have a synchronized um, real-time connection almost. So what you would see is basically two devices um on two different places somewhere around the world and you would 
just start writing on your screen and in almost real time uh, that would also show up in uh, on the person's uh, the other person's screen uh, so yeah the data of that drawing would go into uh, their database um, and then automatically would be synced to whoever was watching on the other screen uh, so they had this very fast real-time sync um, I mean, a drawing is just one example, but you can imagine that uh, that would be very handy in uh, other scenarios as well. So that is pretty cool too. Absolutely. Those demos were quite impressive that Realm has given. I never had the opportunity to use them in one of my apps. Uh, usually uh, the data synchronization that uh, I have to provide is not quite as real-time. Um, and usually I tend to roll my own implementation there um, for better or worse. And uh, I think, as you have mentioned before, um, the data synchronization is easy as long as your app is running and as soon as you want to do any kind of work in the background, you are fighting against the operating system uh, because mobile devices run on battery and the longer your app is running, the more battery it tends to use. So yeah, that's a bit of a design trade-off that most, uh, mobile operating systems have that they tend to cut down on background usage. Um, other than that, I heard that there are some shiny bits that implement background synchronization. Yeah. So the, the shiny, um, package by Alan Ritchie, which uh, is, it does a lot of stuff actually, but background, uh, background jobs is one of those. It, uh, it pretty much abstracts all of the tenuous code away for you. So it, it, it really does save you some, some time and effort in figuring all that stuff out because like I think you already said it, it's not the easiest piece of code to write um, and to write it correctly. That's even more important. Um, yeah, so so Shiny is definitely one of those NuGet packages that does a lot of those more complex tasks for you quite well. Um, so we've talked a lot about now, um, like getting the data, uh, storing it, but uh, there's the other part where uh, we've touched upon a couple of times now, like the network on your phone, uh, which is a, a very big um, uh, pitfall when developing. So watch out. Uh, pro tip right here. Uh, if you're using the emulator or the simulator, then you probably, it, it, it takes the wireless or even the wired connection from your um, your laptop or your machine. Um, so your network conditions will always be perfect, right? Uh, but just for the fun of it, find the settings. They are there uh, that will emulate some different network settings, like set it to 3G or, or just some flaky network or even no network connection at all. Um, I've done a talk about this and, and the very um, easy thing that you can do to test your app is to uh, open it uh, and set your um, airplane mode on so no connection at all and see what happens. Uh, that that always makes for some fun results. Um, but there's also like, you know, when you drive through a tunnel or you're on a high-speed train or airplane or whatever, uh, that your connection can just suddenly drop or, or become um, less, less good. Um, and you have a couple of um, things that you can do to, um, yeah, gracefully 
go about the errors that you might encounter from there. It might not even be like the connection is dropping, but maybe uh, the server that you're connecting to uh, suddenly has uh, some kind of outage or, or anything. Uh, maybe the Azure data center is on fire. I mean, you don't know. Um, there is another, I mean, we've, we, we basically just write apps by um, connecting some packages together, right? Um, so here's another one, which is called Poly. Um, which can do a whole number of things. I don't know if you've have you heard of it. Yeah, of course I've heard of Poly. Uh, I think it's uh, maintained by the team of Carl Franklin, who is uh, one of the hosts of the .NET Rocks show. And um, yeah, uh, it's it allows you to uh, in a in a fluent way define how you can make requests that are then more full tolerance. Uh, you can say I would like to retry this request a number of times. And uh, what I <clears throat> really think is interesting is usually when like your server has a high load um, because you sell tickets maybe or it's Black Friday, uh, it might have problems with uh, handling all the requests. And what Poly can do is you can uh, have like a backing, a back out of the request. So you can say, retry my first request uh, after so and so many uh, milliseconds, then seconds, uh, maybe minutes. And um, you can make that a bit random. So when, so not that all clients always hits the server at the exactly same time. So there are some really cool features implemented into Poly that. Yeah, you might not be uh, thinking about from the get-go or that are quite cumbersome to implement if you want to do it on your own. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Poly, actually. Yeah, there's there's a couple of strategies basically that are that are implemented and uh, make it real easy, like the one you just mentioned, Mark. And another thing is like it assumes that you as a developer will know better than the end user how to go about certain errors. Um, for instance, if your app is going to um, encounter a HTTP 404, so the endpoint is not found. Um, it's highly unlikely that it will recover from that. Uh, so then you can just say, okay, in this case, I'm going to throw the exception. Um, the user will have um, no luck uh, reaching this and we'll be done with it. Uh, but if it's an HTTP 500 or uh, maybe something else, uh, especially if you also control the backend, then you know best what errors can be expected from that backend. Um, so that's that's all things that you can take into account and then uh, together with that also decide like, hey, do I want to retry um, a certain number uh, of times or do I have a little uh, timeout in place as well to not hammer the, service, uh, the server and um, yeah, get it into even more trouble. So yeah, there's a lot of patterns and strategies in there that um, uh, are real easy to implement in a fluent way um, and very easy to use. That's also definitely something that you um, want to think about when using these kinds of things. Um, another thing that just came to mind while, while talking about this is also um, it's not so much about caching, but um, it is about thinking how much data is going over the line. So again, um, if you are uh, living in a country where there is uh, a lot of cellular data plans, uh, which cost almost nothing or are even unlimited, uh, then uh, think to yourself that not all countries are, are blessed that way. Uh, so you might want to also think about not sending um, the same data over the line um, or over the air, uh, 
over and over again. Uh, so if you are going to reach out to your server, uh, you have ways to check if the data on the server actually changed. Uh, you can do that by a couple of HTTP headers. Uh, so basically what that's going to do is like you're going to um, generate a hash for each um, yeah, record basically, or you can define yourself how you want to uh, do that. Um, and you're going to send that hash with, with each response and request. Um, and as long as that uh, signature is going to be the same, then you know the data hasn't changed. Um, so you're not going to send that back um, um, over the line again. You're just going to say, uh, I don't know, HTTP, I don't know which, which code it is actually, 204 or something, uh, which is no content or not modified, something like that. Um, and your device can then know like, okay, I tried to access this, uh, but there's no new data. So I'm just going to show you the cached version of this. So that's also one way uh, that's very useful to not, um, yeah, waste useful megabytes of the user's data plan. Yeah, the easiest way to improve your data flow is to just not get new data. Exactly. Less is more, less is more. Yeah, and I think with that, we've reached the end of this episode about mobile storage and mobile data caching, I guess, also. We've been your hosts, Stephen Tewissen. Gerald Flows. And Mark Alibon. Do you have a favorite tool that we have not discussed here? Then let us know through Twitter or any other social media platform that you can find us on. So thanks for listening. Stay safe. And until next week on Null Pointers. Mm-hmm.